0: we're recording
1: that's novel
0: oh wow we're not used to this actually recording our podcast Welcome back to the O Podcast, a deep dive into New Who. I'm joined here with Dan Priestley. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you,
0: Lou? I'm good, yeah. we A little small uh, bit of housekeeping for every listener. This is the second time Dan and I have recorded this podcast, because yeah. I am an idiot and I didn't press record on the last time we recorded, so...
1: could not possibly comment on your idiocy. So.
0: Oh, but here we go. Listen. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is definitely a deep dive. We're having to change the structure up a little bit for this episode because,
1: because it's this, rubbish.
0: Yeah, it was so unusual and so strange that we can't we can't talk about it how we normally do because we just get confused. So <laughs> we have changed the structure, so we're basically gonna explain what happens and then just go from there. So to start, the episode opens. Uh, to
1: start, we have to we kind of rank the outfits, Nev.
0: Oh, forgive That's
1: how we me. All podcasts from now rank
0: the outfits. I didn't mind this outfit of Clara's. I thought it was okay. I was baffled that she did the entire episode in like stiletto heels.
1: This is this is her date her date dress. Isn't
0: yeah, it? it's a bit of a weird one. She looks like again like she's going kind of to a job interview. Hmm. It was all right. I've seen Clara in worse.
1: We've seen Clara in words. <laughs> um, and what did you think of um what's his name? Awesome Pig's space suit.
0: I liked because it's very David Tennant era, but it's also very budget cuts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got well, I used to have at home a little well, action figure of David Tennant in his um orange Forty Two. Yeah. Written no, by
0: Chris Chibnall.
1: Is it forty two or is it
0: Forty two is the one when they. Oh, it's the Satan Pit, isn't it? They've
1: got different ones, or maybe they reuse them.
0: Oh, I don't know. They yeah, just had I... one spacesuit that lasted them all of David Tennant's era.
1: Very likely, yeah. And I've got my little, and he's got a he's got a helmet that opens and closes.
0: Oh,
1: what? I. I lost somewhere.
0: I had the action figure of him in in the three D glasses. Hmm. That was my David Tennant action figure.
1: For the, for the void dust.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Comment, tell us, listeners, what action figure did you have of David Tennant?
1: <laughs> what, was your, what was your favorite Doctor Who action figure, um, apart from the, the gift I bought you once?
0: Oh yeah, I did. Like I, Dad bought me a little River a River Song Pop Funko. I had, well, it wasn't an action figure, but I had a remote control canine, mm. and mm. that was like peak Doctor Who toy.
1: Remote controls make anything excel, don't they? was like I... a toy car, but then you think about a toy remote control car.
0: That's just next level.
1: Um, I had a little remote control Dalek.
0: I had a remote control Dalek as well.
1: Terminator, she drove him round. I'll tell you the worst action figure I ever bought. It wasn't Doctor Who, it was a Batman one. Um, so we're off on a tangent. Um, it, it, I spent, like, half an hour in a shop. Agonizing over to whether but to buy this, this Batman figure. It was like Batman on a motorcycle. Oh, wow. So, you know, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Cool stuff. But he sort of was stood on the motorcycle. So um, I spent, and then I was like, you know what? I am going to spend my pocket money. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> I got home and get this. Batman was not removable from the motorcycle.
0: The audacity.
1: And as an infant, I was, I weeped. <laughs> Weeped and I weeped because Woolworths had screwed me over.
0: Woolworths, what a throwback.
1: Yeah, Woolworths shut the day my rabbits died. Um, my my dad got me in the car, he turned to me and he said, Dan, I've got two bits of bad news for you.
0: Oh, that's harrowing. Oh my God. How old were you? Well,
1: however, when did Woolworths shut down?
0: I'm going to Google it. This is how good this episode is that we're talking about Woolworths rather than Doctor who.
1: <laughs> there was. The, most of them shut down in. It's 2009. 2000. Yes, yeah, so I would have been nine years old.
0: Oh, Dan.
1: Rabbit's died. They escaped, and I presume they got ran over or something, but maybe they're still out there.
0: Maybe. Living. They're <laughs> just no adventure.
1: Yeah. They're off hunting down pufferfish and cheetahs and talking about evolution. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Jesus. Anyway, back to Doctor Who. (laughs) The episode starts with the Doctor sat on the TARDIS doing a little opening monologue about how we as creatures evolve and adapt. What did you think, Dan? What did you think of the opening monologue?
1: Well... We know, obviously, that the the monologue in its entirety is lots of very strange moments. The first, of course, is him being sat up there, and it's um, it's certainly a trailer moment. Yeah. Um, where he sat there and he opens his eyes and he goes, "Listen," and um, he the the, the first thing, of course, that makes you think about is how the hell did he get up there?
0: He just clambered like full on swimming pool, swings his leg up like so- scrambling.
1: Yeah, a little, little sort of gremlin man that um, Peter Capaldi is. He's got, he's got quite <laughs> long limbs, he's quite gangly. Gangly.
0: Like,
1: I can imagine it be quite a humorous image. And then, of course, we've got, uh, you know, he sat on top of the TARDIS, which, as we know, has a pointy light sticking up from it.
0: Where's
1: where's the little light? On? Where, where's the little light, Capaldi? What, what are you done with that?
0: That is the first thing. The second I saw him on top of that TARDIS, I was like, oh, that must be painful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Stephen Moffat says this episode's all about what does the Doctor do in his spare time. <laughs> and I think I think we found out something.
0: He likes a little pointy light in his little spare time.
1: Yeah, he loves it. Oh. Um, but the monologue for me, I mean, obviously, Peter knows how to deliver a monologue. Um, I don't massively like the breaking the fourth wall type no. of stuff. Um, I know it's supposed to be him sort of thinking out loud, but it, it, it is basically breaking the fourth wall. I don't know if that fits as well in Doctor Who. And secondly, I don't, really, I don't really buy the going to see the cheetah and going to see the puffer fish. And the, the different locations make it feel disjointed and weird and sort of cement the idea that it's breaking the fourth wall because you can't really imagine the Doctor going from one place to another, continuing this line of thought. It's more like you're you your PowerPoint presentation. Yeah.
0: And and not only does it look really cheap, because the CGI is just terrible, but it feels like such a quick, cheap, cop-out way to get the bulk of the episode out the way before it's even started. Like, here you go, here's what we're doing. Now we can just completely slow the rest of the episode down to a basically a standstill. Mm. It just doesn't feel... Like, even if they'd waited just made it a bit longer it might have worked more and like like you said less fourth wall but it just felt so rushed that you're like oh wait what's happening
1: i think one of the things that we know about that is part of the role of the companion is to offer somebody for the doctor to explain to yeah and that feels like what this episode sort of forgetting is part of the point is the doctor explains things and then we're it's like we're there the explanation gets said but without breaking the fourth wall and sort of breaking the suspension of disbelief.
0: Yeah, I feel like they have... That's one of the, again, another issue with Clara, is that they've tried to make her, you know, feminist. She can do it all. But she's, one, not that example of that. But because they've tried to make her this sort of I'm better than a doctor character, that they kind of make her role as the companion redundant because they're pitting them as equals. Mm. Which they... I know they shouldn't be because companion should always be there to ask questions and just not know everything.
1: What, what bits of me did you think pull off breaking the fourth wall in the right way?
0: I like when he opens his eyes.
1: Mm.
0: He doesn't have to say, listen, if he just opened his eyes, then he's looking at you and you know that he's talking to you, but you don't have to be like, why is he asking questions? Who's he talking to? Like it just, it just feels very strange.
1: But what I mean is, what um, what other so not Doctor Who, but like what things do break forth well effectively?
0: Oh, Fleabag, one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Fleabag, yeah. I if you, did you watch Anola Holmes that came out this week?
1: I've not watched it, no.
0: Bits in that work really, really well. Mm-hmm. Some bits didn't, but that's by the guy who directed Fleabag, so obviously he's got a knack for it.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Fleabag's a really effective use of it in like a dramatic context. Because obviously there's lots of ones that use it for comedy. You think about Deadpool or Miranda even. Yeah. um, Use fourth wall boats just for comedy. But going past that, like using it for dramatic effect, I think Fleabag's probably the most effective bit of media that I've seen.
0: I I love, I think Fleabag is the most like personal use of a fourth wall. I think it's incredible.
1: And I think that there's not, a lot of purpose in this monologue being a fourth wall break. No. It gives Peter Capaldi a chance to show off how well he can monologue.
0: But there's been so many monologues in Doctor Who that are like outstanding that you're like, yes, go, Doctor. And this one, he looks like he's just losing his mind. Mm, like it def- doesn't, it's not a heroic monologue. He just sounds insane.
1: <laughs> Part of the theme for this episode, isn't it? That the Doctor's just sort of lost his mind a he's bit. He's just
0: going nuts. <laughs>
1: He's old now. He's a bit, you know. Whoop.
0: He's not heroic anymore. He's just this mad scientist, rude guy.
1: Just a bit cuckoo now. Um, so that's the opening monologue, really. I don't, I don't know if there's. Anything yeah, else you
0: want nothing to say, else but... really happens. It's so quick that it's blink and you miss it. Mm. And then he basically, so a little someone writes "listen" on a chalkboard. What do you think
1: about the the chalkboard in the TARDIS as a part of the TARDIS aesthetic?
0: I like it because we've always known the Doctor's like always thinking and like trying to work things out, and obviously Peter Capaldi's Doctor is definitely more of this like mad scientist vibe with the books and the armchairs. So I did like it. I thought I think they're a good addition. There is a deleted scene for this episode that I found when I was doing research where the TARDIS is lit all by candlelight. Okay. And they cut it out for pacing purposes, which seems a bit ironic for this episode, but. (laughs) <laughs> the, uh, originally the opening monologue started with him sat in the TARDIS all lit by candles which I think would have been quite an interesting visual
1: Yeah, yeah, not it it was... made
0: any sense because why would he have turned the TARDIS off and spent hours lighting candles because
1: <laughs> I think we um, we agree sort of the TARDIS this new TARDIS design the, the sort of central bit of it and the sort of main elements of the room are a bit boring and yeah. air- but lots of the little elements are quite creative, and the blackboard and the armchairs and the books and stuff are all quite interesting. And it just—it would be nice to see them in a within a better Tardis design. Yeah,
0: overall. I think this one's definitely because the Doctor lives in the Tardis. Like you yeah. kind of forget. So I like that this one is almost like he's kind of made it part of a living room. Mm. Like and when he sits in this little chair and he has a little relax. I'm like, yeah, you would probably want to.
1: <laughs> and this Doctor's a more lonely Doctor as well. Yeah. One that that travels a lot without Clara and uh, doesn't need a companion all the time. To say what, so you know, different to how Tennant and Smith and they existed. So it makes sense for him to sort of have areas to just sort of sit and ponder.
0: No, I do like. I think they copped out a little bit on the design because they've just given him Matt Smith's second TARDIS, but with some bookshelves. But it makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's that's the
0: monologue, isn't it? so then the opening titles go, we've seen them all before, and then we cut to Clara coming home after Clara and Danny have finally been on their first date. Mm. The first date is just quite strange, it's awkward and it kind of plays off this vibe that they are just not meant for each other, even though the audience knows that you should be rooting for them to get together at this point. Mm. It's just a really oddly written scene.
1: I think that's definitely my my main problem with the, this part of the day and the second part of the day. Yes. Is if anything they prove that Clara and Danny have incompatible personalities yeah. and Danny's you know he's pretty he's pretty aggy, um about Aspects of his past, and Clara apparently has forgotten how to not say things and not be rude. Maybe the doctor. <laughs> off on her.
0: Yeah, she spent far too much time with Peter Capaldi's doctor, and now she's just an arsehole.
1: Yeah, that's what you pick up from him—not not courage or anything like the old ones. No. It, it's you. You pick off how to be a dick to people.
0: <laughs> she, they are just incessantly rude together. The only thing they have in common is the fact that they're both teachers.
1: So of course they bitch about the uh, the students. Yeah,
0: make a joke about killing a child, which is so fiercely unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really strange scene. Again, it's, they carry on with the weird non-linear storytelling for their love story, which I kind of like because for Clara, her love story's not going to be linear always because she's a time traveller. Like, it kind of plays that her life is so out of order that obviously her relationship is going to be which is smart, but I can't give Doctor Who that much credit. Have they really thought that much, or am I interpreting this? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just feel like I'm giving them too much of a doubt, so we cut back and forth to her, looking embarrassed because she's screwed up the date, and then back to them arguing.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think it, it builds on the relationship, at least that, that we've seen, you know, because occasionally they have sort of nice moments together, um and i know obviously we get a lot more of danny in future episodes um so we'll look forward to seeing that but in terms of establishing that these characters are going to be a couple and they're going to be deeply in love um
0: it it doesn't work there's absolutely nothing there like it makes you if anything just be like why should i root for these people they are both not nice people to each other they deserve other <laughs> characters and it just feels especially at the start of the episode where you're aware that this episode's going to have something to do with danny pink and clara's relationship it's a weird way to start and to make you care about them because if anything you're like well what's the point
1: yeah um so that's sort of the date isn't it yeah well, so the part of the date.
0: so clara that she like we said it cuts back and forth to being in clara's bedroom and so she goes into her room and the doctor sat there at her table at her dressing table and insults her because she's got a big face
1: she has a huge face
0: and then within seconds says oh don't worry you've not got any makeup on he's not going to ring you to go back out she's still got her makeup on so we've got two insults in two seconds
1: Which is a staple of Capaldi's Doctor is uh, being rude to women. Yeah. Um, It's a
0: constant theme in these episodes. We're
1: going to tick that off each episode. (laughs) And then at the end end of um, our series, we'll we'll just have a whole podcast episode dedicating to which was the best insult. Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) So he says he needs her for a thing, which I really liked that line. I thought it was funny, it kind of sums up their relationship and he, he walks in the TARDIS, completely not caring about her. She's like, I need you for a thing, come on. And he knows that she's gonna go. Like she he knows. He doesn't care. So then they go inside the TARDIS and the doctor needs her I still get confused at this bit. So the doctor goes on this big spiel about how everyone's had the same nightmare that when you wake up in the middle of the night and you put your feet on the ground and a hand will reach out under your bed and grab you by the ankle and it kind of broke it because I've never had that nightmare.
1: No I think in terms of making this episode scary and thinking the monster's real it doesn't work and um, you know one of the clearest comparisons to this in terms of effective um freaking out kids and stuff is the angels episode which is also the first blink um and in that episode you have the whole episode with the established creatures and threat and monsters and it's creepy and it's scary and at the end of the episode it cuts to a montage of just clips of statues and that what that does for children is it just ties it together nicely yeah um, I don't know if Stephen Moffat thought with this episode, he would give the kids the nightmare, um, thereby making it a long term and scary episode that haunts children forever. But I just it just doesn't work. Um,
0: not at all. I, I think it's very much like playing on the hopes that people have. And even then, it's not a terrifying nightmare. Like even watching it on screen, it, it's kind of boring. It goes on for a little bit too long. If it was snappier editing, if it was quick, like quickly paced, like the beginning of the episode, it could have been more frightening. But it's just people slowly getting out of bed and a hand coming out. Some poor extra, like, intern of the BBC is lying under a bed. Like, it's just not frightening. It's not a creepy hand. It's just a hand. Mm. So it's very strange. But the doctor says, Clara, have you had that nightmare? She says yes. So Clara links up with the TARDIS to fly to the time that she had that nightmare. But at that moment, who rings her but Danny Pink? And then all the wacky adventures ensue.
1: So obviously this leads to the children's home. Um, Are there any points from this full children's home sequence, you know, the, the doctor meeting this guy and then... The, the Where's Wally dialogue and Clara <laughs> going to little Rupert's bedroom and the, the monster. Does, it, does any of it work for you?
0: I'm tr- I like the bit that frightened me the most minute part. The only bit that I thought was effective in the sequence is the bit where Clara and Rupert are under the bed. She's trying to prove a point. There's nothing there. And very slowly like the springs of the mattress go down as if someone sat on top of the bed and i thought that was creepy i thought that was well done
1: yeah i agree i think that that is the most effective moment possibly in the whole episode yeah. the concept is really creepy
0: it's frightening because you'd be like oh my god it was a little bit like like a bit tense i wasn't afraid per se but i definitely was a bit like oh that's weird I also liked, it was so predictable, I knew it was going to do it. But the bit where the doctor's like, oh, who's moving your coffee? Why does it keep going missing? And when the janitor looks back and the coffee's missing, everyone's like, but the doctor's just actually nicked it. And he's just having a drink. I did like that.
1: With the the janitor dialogue, I think what that reminded me of was the, the scene from from the silence episodes where they go to the children's yeah. home that River Song's staying in. And the silence have driven this guy crazy with madness. And, you know, he's, he's clearly dysfunctional and a broken man. This guy, occasionally, has his TV turned off. it's um, In terms of setting the stakes, it, it's not completely compatible with creating a threat for the episode.
0: No, not at all. He just looks bored. Like, even when the doctor's talking to him, it's like, what?
1: what go away you will like
0: it doesn't help set up this sort of terrifying vibe that moffat's trying to play off when even the guy the janitor of a children's home's like you're insane mm.
1: and you know i think we've, we've probably got to address it now the whole point of the episode is by the end of the episode a bunch of things have happened but you're not sure whether there's a monster or not that's the that's the ingenious concept that moffat came up with um and I say in genius with with a, a slight degree yeah. of
0: sarcasm.
1: um, and what that does is it hurts the episode. It really does because you know you can't establish a proper threat when you want to leave it ambiguous. Where there's a monster, a lot the, the the furthest they go in this episode is the doctor gets hit in the head by something.
0: Yeah, which but the only bit that again the children's home scene completely ruins this entire ambiguity plot because you see a monster, mm. you see some creepy thing that you can tell that's not a child you know that's not a child under that bedspread because it doesn't it's not a child you can see that
1: it would be sniggering with amusement if it was a child
0: but i just think it was so strange that at the end it's like oh was it real but i'm like yeah it was it was in that scene
1: i also think um if these creatures are the most effective beings that are hiding in the universe um that's not a very good hiding place, stood up under the bedspread. You could at least lie down, couldn't you? Yeah, you'd
0: be, like, or like up against the wall behind the door, rather than just sort of, like, ghosting.
1: It's just not... You know, that's not the height of evolution, is it?
0: Hiding under a bedspread. That's Sto- peak evolution.
1: That's Imagine if a child did that in a game of hide and seek. You would think they are a moron.
0: Well, I just... This episode man it just
1: do you want to tell the audience how you had to watch it twice
0: i had to okay this episode confused me so much that with side titles on i had to watch it twice hmm. because i just found it both far too quick and far too slow at the exact same time <laughs> it literally was quiet like out of all the doctor episodes i know it's all about like shh But the dialogue, people were speaking so softly in this that I just didn't know what was happening. And I looked down and I'd missed a whole chunk and they were in this different place. And it was so weird that, yeah, I had to watch it twice because my notes were just completely incomprehensible. I couldn't have done this.
1: (laughs) Mm. Um. (laughs) I think... Part of the reason you had to do that was because nothing happened. In the
0: yeah. Episode. I expected that I'd missed so much more, but turns out I knew what had happened. I was just still equally as bothered by it. It's almost well, like a series of vignettes, like lots of short stories in one big story.
1: Like lots of slightly creepy sequences. Yeah. All together by a terrible narrative thread. Yeah. Um. Okay, so. We don't love the children's home sequence. No. What did you think of the Doctor's speech about um, his fear being a superpower?
0: Just full of crappy Tumblr quotes.
1: <laughs> you think the Doctor's been spending too much time on Tumblr? Yeah, that's what
0: he's been doing when Clara's on these, all these dates. He just sits on Tumblr, like trying to find inspirational Pinterest quotes so he can put them up on his blackboards in the top <laughs> I
1: never, I never got Tumblr.
0: I, I was a big Tumblr.
1: Tumblr fan. You
0: don't say. Uh, I, fourteen years old. It was all I did. (laughs) Doctor Who. Actually, fun fact, everyone. Doctor Who official Tumblr sent me a message on Tumblr.
1: (laughs) What did it say?
0: I basically I'd been such a geek. (laughs) I said like, oh, I've been a fan of your show for years. They were like, great, keep up the great work. We're so glad to hear it. Can't really remember, but they were very supportive of me being a right little geek.
1: And that's the the origin story of the podcast.
0: So Tumblr 2014, I can picture it now.
1: Yeah, we'll do a flashback episode. (laughs) We'll we'll give you some helium and we'll raise the pitch of your voice ever so slightly. Yeah. And then you can just go through all your favourite Tumblr quotes.
0: Oh my God, it was just all bad memes. What a time to be alive.
1: Um. And then uh, probably the last thing we should mention from this segment is um, Dan the soldier man and leaving the little, little doll thing. Um,
0: I, I like that they, she kind of gives him this token that Clara, without thinking, creates Danny Pink, the man she's going to fall in love with. But why is it never explained why his name is Rupert and why, is, why he changed it? Why was he in a children's home? Because it's never explained... Later on.
1: I don't think it is, no. And it's just sort of, did he just hate the name?
0: Like, he hated Rupert that much that he named himself after a toy. And then, did he legally change it? Was he Dan in the army?
1: What would be short for Rupert? Rup. Rup. (laughs) Ru Ru It's not great, is it? I understand why he changed his name. Apologies to all our viewers named Rupert
0: comment again tweet us what what do you go by if you're called rupert
1: um okay <laughs> um, so we move on to the date part two um where clara shows a baffling a baffling lack of common sense for somebody who's been time traveling now for honestly a while, um and ruins the date by showing danny that she knows um, his his old name, and ob- doesn't have a coat either, which I don't really understand where her coat ended up.
0: Was it in her bedroom? Is it on the TARDIS?
1: Maybe, maybe it's in her bedroom. Um, and there's some, all oh, there's some A grade flirting here with the me- m- mocking of the surnames.
0: Oh and yeah, she's then... like, you can have my surname.
1: What What do you think of their... <gasps> oh.
0: sorry, my um. My glamorous assistant has just passed me a little note. Apparently, Rupert is a nickname for an officer in the army.
1: Oh, that's a that's Has elite. Stephen
0: Moffat actually been quite clever for once?
1: I didn't realise we had a research team in the background. We do
0: have a research team. My glamorous assistant's currently on the computer behind me getting all the facts.
1: <laughs> we like to be fact-checked.
0: We do. <laughs> so oh, I, like... ba- I even got a slide to me on a little piece of paper. <laughs>
1: like when they um when they offer you money for something they slide the paper forwards instead of saying it out loud for some reason
0: yeah well thank you glamorous assistant um,
1: so we're we're back on the date um, back on the date do you think their you know their raw you know sexual chemistry do you think it works
0: oh <laughs> Of all the things I thought I'd heard you say on this podcast.
1: (laughs) I'm taking this podcast to the extreme.
0: If anything, it just again underlines that they aren't made for each other. Danny gets so cross with Clara that he's like, what the hell, how do you know my name is Officer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) How do you know my name is Officer Pink?
0: Officer Pink.
1: (laughs) Well, you never stop weeping about your victims.
0: Yeah, you never stop... It's, I feel really bad because it's really quite refreshing to see a guy cry on TV. But he cries so much about being in the army that part of me is like he is scarred by his experiences. And
1: yet he's training some... Yeah.
0: Some... And he's fiercely defensive of being in the army, but look at the damage it's done to him.
1: I mean, surely that's an argument against the army enough. Uh... It's just
0: bizarre. I don't... under uh, All of Danny Pink, it just feels like... He kind of did a mind map, Stephen Moffat. It was like, what do I want this guy to be? And every single thread on this mind map, that's Danny. <laughs> like, he didn't single him down. It's
1: like, right, we want him to have some conflict with the Doctor over a soldier thing. That might be useful, okay. Um, we want him to be sad, and we want him to be socially awkward, but also, he's a lady killer.
0: Ladies' man. Man, <laughs> That was. I still get a bit uncomfortable when I think of that scene and he's like, no.
1: <laughs> no, leave me alone, please.
0: Please, I'm just a maths teacher.
1: <laughs> just trying to live my life. Poor Rupert.
0: Oh, Rupert. Little Rupert. Is,
1: is Rupert a famous bear's name?
0: Rupert Bear?
1: What's, what's Rupert Bear?
0: He wears a little red cardigan and little yellow trousers. Really? Yeah. I couldn't tell you what he does, but I know his outfit. What's it from? <laughs> I don't
1: know. Rupert Bear.
0: God, this is how good this episode is. We've gone from Batman to Rupert Bear.
1: We're hitting all of the all of the demographics. It's a
0: children's comic strip created by the British. Brit, I thought it's a British army, but it's British artist. I was very excited for the Daily Express.
1: Um. Okay, that's Rupert Bear, everyone. A British icon.
0: Wait, go Rupert.
1: Go, Rupert. Um, so the next big, sort of penultimate big sequence <laughs> yeah, is the... Uh, to
0: talk about, really.
1: It's the end of the universe sequence. Thoughts?
0: It's loose. The entire point is so confusing. So another part of Danny and Clara's timeline, we meet Orson, Colonel Orson Pink, who is one of the world's first time travellers 100 years in the future. And it's so—it's played by Samuel Anderson, the same guy who plays Danny. So it's so clear that they are linked somehow. And it's just really weird. Like, there's another fat joke the Doctor tells, and so or, the time travel obviously wasn't like safe enough yet. So Orson gets stuck at the end of the universe. But it just looks so cheap—the CGI. You're stuck on this bad-looking spaceship when nothing really happens. But the only thing I do like about the sequence is that it plays with your expectations a little bit. So the Doctor and Clara are sat having a chat and there's this banging noise. And it's, oh, is it the pipes or is it a monster? And I did like that. That was very atmospheric. It plays on, because everyone's heard the boiler go and you're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And it plays on this sort of childhood fear in you, which I did like.
1: I think this is much more effective than the the nightmare narrative yeah absolutely if
0: this was the narrative like have you ever heard the banging or the creak of the the stairs when you're going to sleep that would be terrifying because i've heard that i relate to that everyone has
1: combine that with a real established threat yeah it works
0: because i really enjoyed when they were like what's banging is it the wind banging on the door is it something coming in and even when the doctor does open the door and he's flying and something hits him on the head not knowing if it was a creature or just some debris that works but because you've already had that first scene in the children's home that kind of establishes that nothing that it's just not scary because you know nothing's happening
1: you know you could almost restructure this story to have perhaps you know, a classic thing in Doctor Who is have a group of people on a, on a spaceship, um, and one by one they get picked off. Yeah. And you could have a thing where, one by one, the crew gets picked off by accidents, and they all go mad, and they're not sure whether there's a real threat or not. There's, that a, there's would be, an episode there.
0: That would be kind of cool, because it would also be kind of be like, Final Destination meets Doctor Who, like...
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I, that would
0: have been a really interesting episode, actually.
1: Yeah, there's something to do with this concept, as usual. Um, but they just don't do anything very good with it. No.
0: But what um, I find really interesting about this episode is that people said that this is like, one of the best episodes Doctor to ever.
1: Yeah. But then, you know, people like pretentious crap, don't they?
0: Yeah.
1: Sometimes. Um, so, there is that. I think... One of the good moments from this is um, the Doctor's it's sort of extension of his madness when he's sort of screaming that he has to know. Yeah. And yet he won't leave Clara in danger, so he's like, go away. Like, shouts at her.
0: It's, he does treat her almost like a child. Mm. But it was kind of interesting to see because he was so stern that she just was like, fine, you're an idiot. But it was a really... You don't usually see the Doctor in that kind of dynamic.
1: No you I don't, did like
0: it was refreshing.
1: You don't see the doctor in a normal setting get angry in that sort of way and lose his lose control. Yeah. Now, the only times that usually happens is when there's you know some some monsters done some sort of horrific crime against humanity or something like that. No
0: but, it's just that he's so like, seeing Red that he needs to know the truth, he needs to be right, that he's just losing any sense of who he is because he just has to know. It was really... It, that was a good scene.
1: So that that's effective. Um, and that's it, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for the end of the universe, that's it. So then...
1: Oh, Doctor- we have, no, sorry. We have the dialogue between Orson and um, Clara.
0: So it turns out Orson does know who Clara is. Clara's his gran...
1: Great great grandmother. Great
0: grandma. Because Orson has Dan the Soldier Man as a family heirloom.
1: Family heirloom. And you you imagine for a start, um, let's say, and we you know, spoilers, but we we know what happens at the end of this series, but let's say um Clara and Danny get together and they have children, right? And then all of those children <laughs> all of them um you know have more children, okay. then and then all of them have more children so you know you've got you've got to think there's at least 16 great grandkids or something with reasonable numbers and we just happen to meet the one that still happens to have this tiny little toy soldier that little baby rupert happens to not lose um it's it's a big coincidence
0: it really is and Again, it's just so loose. Like, it's not just... That's not going to happen. No. And the fact that he had him on it... He had Dan the Soldier Man on him at the exact moment Clara was speaking to him.
1: It's all a bit bizarre, isn't it?
0: Just sums that episode up, really.
1: Um, And then we have the final, the sort of infamous sequence from there. Stephen Moffat, you know, he can't be content to write a mediocre episode. It has to be a mediocre episode that changes the entire lore of Doctor Who as well. Mm. Just fun, you know. He's he got a case
0: of the Chibnals.
1: He does have a case of the Chibnals. Uh Although the Chibnals weren't a thing at this point. At this point, no. Chib- Chibnall's only written a few mediocre episodes of Doctor Who.
0: Which I watched a YouTube video that has ruined my uh, like OG Chibnall viewing because all his episodes he ever wrote for his, like Doctor Who have a countdown so like forty two. There's another yeah. like dinosaurs on a spaceship. Every single one. You've got like twenty minutes to save the world. the
1: <laughs> easiest, easiest way to add tension, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then we are on Gallifrey. Need um, did any did any part of this speak to you positively?
0: No, I feels cheap. It feels Gallifrey has been this sort of. Like forbidden fruit, since knew who started, and at this point, nearly ten years of like, we can't go to Gallifrey. We can't go. To Gallifrey's done. I miss Gallifrey. It was my home, but it's dead. It's in the past. Mm. And just to have Clara, who's one of the like least liked companions, who has so little agency in the Doctor's life, just casually drive the TARDIS to Gallifrey and then meet the Doctor as a child. Like it just feels so unearned, mm. and. Hammed in at the end of an episode that isn't that great. I
1: mean this is this is five or six episodes after the 50th anniversary.
0: It's like they're overusing Daleks too much now and they're overusing Gallifrey too much. And they're like the two like best bits of Doctor Who and they're getting boring. <laughs> mm.
1: I just think Gallifrey is not something you should whip out. You know, in in old Hugh I, I understand that Gallifrey was more around and everything. Yeah. In New Who, the whole point is the doctor is a is a lonely traveller who's lost his people. Um, we now understand that they're not all dead. That's fine, but he does he has lost his people to an extent, and he's trying to find meaning in the world. And the meaning that he finds is to do good things and save people, protect people, right? And but they just they just can't help themselves. They're like, oh, let's uh, let's pull Gallifrey out the closet. And then they, you know, they link it to the 50th anniversary. There was
0: no need to drag John Hurt in.
1: (laughs) No, there wasn't. Also, this is the the second episode of this series. Four episodes into Peter Capaldi's first series where they've not been content just to have Peter Capaldi as the Doctor in it.
0: I know! Oh my God! And also, having that clip of John Hurt ruins the idea that she was confused and deep breath that he regenerated because she's met. She knows John Hurt. She references John Hurt, mm. and she's aware that he was a different guy before—a mm. grumpy old man prior.
1: <laughs> yeah, we 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 definitely dealt with our line deep breath. But Clara's sort of initial rejection of this doctor is baffling, and will it, always be baffling.
0: It does not make any sense.
1: You can mourn the loss of Matt Smith without being a dick to the new doctor. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know you know how um babies when they're born who they're surrounded by you know <laughs>
0: critics,
1: how they perceive the world and stuff maybe yeah. clara was such a dick to the doctor right at the beginning that's why he's a horrible horrible that's man. why he's
0: such an arsehole now because it's clara clara's fault clara does everything wrong. <laughs>
1: and clara his one existence is to shape the doctor's personality yeah. fundamentally, um which is again what this is doing it, it's it's intrinsically linking this Clara character who's pretty eh to Doctor's backstory and lore and it's like just do new things, just do new things with the characters, you don't need to go back and do this, this is effectively meaningless
0: Yeah, nothing changes about the Doctor except you learn that he's afraid of the dark and that he was lonely as a child but I'm sure we were all kind of aware of that
1: Yeah but that doesn't, you know, in terms of a doctor's timeline, I mean, that was like a thousand years ago at this point. It's it's as relevant as the Tudors are to my life.
0: That's a quote.
1: That's a quote. And speaking of quotes, this episode has a few.
0: Oh, God, go on down, list some.
1: Um, very clever people can hear dreams. Being, being afraid is all right. Fear is a superpower. Um, you had a couple more as well, didn't you?
0: Fear makes a companion of us all.
1: Sure it does. Which what doesn't
0: really that? make any sense.
1: It doesn't mean any... That's just
0: some words put into a sentence.
1: Yep. But it sounds good, though, doesn't it?
0: And it's a bit on the nose because she's a companion. Do you get it? Like oh,
1: oh, We're clever, we promise.
0: But I find it really strange because the only time in English language, the word companion is used is in re- reference to Doctor Who. No one says, this is my companion. Companion is a buzzword for Doctor Who. That's just what they're called. So why on earth is she using companion? Because no one says that. <laughs> Unless they're talking about, like, dogs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it? it it doesn't work. And it, it it's what make, turns this episode from being just a mediocre eh well that was a bad episode of Doctor Who to something that's sort of just trying to, feels like it's trying to wind up the fan base to an extent
0: but also it's giving Clara like they need to spend more time on making Clara's character concise and knowable rather than forcing her to do all these big actions that don't give any sort of I don't know extra depth to an episode because you don't care about her you don't care about the situation so it I just barely, feels meaningless.
1: We barely care about Capaldi's Doctor at this Literally. point. Literally.
0: So I'm like, why do I care that this Clara is helping young Doctor? Because I don't know this young Doctor. don't really know Clara, and she's been in the series for like a series and a half.
1: I think, you know, of these first four episodes, um, three of them have tried to be... A deep character study of who the doctor is and then you've had robot of sherwood <laughs> i don't love robot of sherwood i really don't but it, it serves a purpose to you know you yeah. get used to this doctor and before you pull out these deep character studies or attempts at them anyway you you need to do the, the legwork you need to go okay here's a character we like and are interested in
0: it's quite ironic that the cheesiest, worst episode of Doctor Who. It's actually my favourite one of the four, because it's as close to Doctor Who that I like, but these are all just such, not, like, they just don't give off any sort of emotion because you don't relate to any of the characters, and it's so forced. Mm. It's too early for these episodes.
1: So, favourite moment of this episode? None. Yeah, um, least uh, favourite favorite moment of the episode?
0: The the bit where the, the monster comes out from under the bed. It just ruins the entire point of the episode for me.
1: Yeah, mine it's, is um, mine's the Doctor sipping that coffee smugly. Yeah. We already don't like this Doctor. He doesn't need to be a thief as well.
0: He's a thief. If I had to choose a favourite part of the episode, it may have been the where's Wally moment, where he's like, where's Wally? Oh, I like that. Ruins my way of reading or whatever when he basically says he's always looking for Wally when he's reading a book.
1: It's silly. It's quite funny.
0: It's silly. It's like just stupid. But I like this doctor's sense of humour. It's just a bit stupid. Mm. I, I quite enjoy that.
1: He's a silly, silly man.
0: Silly, silly man who's rude, mean, doesn't care about other people's lives.
1: He's got a spoon.
0: He's got a spoon and a weird glove that is never mentioned and disappears.
1: Where's, Where's the glove? Hashtag, hashtag,
0: where's the glove? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan, what flavour crisps does Orson eat?
1: God, um, I don't even remember what I said in our, um, our dummy run of the podcast. The
0: dummy run, the one where I forgot, literally dummy, because I forgot to record it.
1: <laughs> Who are the characters we've got to do? Orson um, and Danny. And the hiding and monster.
0: The hiding monster and maybe Rupert.
1: I think the high monster's got to be like the plainest, least smelly crisp possible.
0: Those shaken salt crisps where they're plain and you add the salt yourself, but he doesn't put the salt on.
1: My um, my friend's mum used to work in the factory for those.
0: Well, don't brag.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't like don't to brag at all, but yeah. I know. I know people.
0: someone that put the salt packets in the crisps.
1: Um, okay. I think that's I think that's fair. I think Danny, he's quite um all over the place, isn't he? Mm. I almost feel like did you did you have those Doritos that you released last year where half of them were really spicy, (laughs) half of them weren't. I feel like that's Danny. That's Danny.
0: That's Danny Pink. I was gonna go I agree with you and I changed my answer about I was gonna go prawn cocktail because the packet's pink.
1: Well, yeah, that's why he wears a pink shirt, isn't it? Because he just
0: the... loves prawn cocktail crisps.
1: Yeah, he's, he's a big supporter of the prawn cocktail. Um, okay, what did you think of this episode, numbers wise?
0: Hang on, let me get up my reference sheet.
1: We've all got, we've got a reference sheet for. for I those... just
0: scrolled past a picture of Dance for Catcher.
1: My <laughs> like delicious, delicious catch! I'm making it, making another one tonight for, for Catcher Part Two. Yeah, to take him for mid lunches for work. Um... For those who don't know the system this is the rating system number one it's the worst ever number two it's horrible but not the worst number three it's bad number four it's not that good number five it's okay number six it's good number seven it's pretty good but could be better number eight it's great number nine i love it number 10 it's the best ever 15 this episode is my life A 100 if you could if you have a bad opinion of this episode we cannot be friends hit me
0: See, part of me wants to be kind and give it a three, but I also think it may be two.
1: I don't know. It's it's horrible.
0: But not the worst, because there are some redeeming moments in it. But when Mm. you really think about it, there's like maybe four in a 45 minute episode.
1: Yeah.
0: I think I may give it a two. I really don't like this episode.
1: I'm, I'm gonna last time we recorded this I think I gave it a three but I've persuaded myself that it's a two
0: yeah I think this we've managed to like recon like rethink our thoughts and I was like actually this is terrible like there is no there's no real plot the question that it leaves the episode on isn't justified
1: there's no points to the episode no and yet it does big things, but they don't really affect anything. It's, it's the illusion of a high-quality episode, but <sighs> it, it fails on every front.
0: Yeah, I think it tries to be so clever, and it's just not. It's like I'm just reading some of the reviews. It says it's intelligent, romantic, and just scary enough. Did we watch a different episode? Because this wasn't romantic. It wasn't intelligent. I was not frightened once.
1: It's um it's just scary enough.
0: I just I can't like I usually give Dr. benefit a doubt because I have this sort of the sort of nostalgia lens where you're like, okay, it tried. Like even with deep breath, I was like, there was it was all it was bizarre, but okay, whatever. Mm. This just gives itself like it's so up its like so uppity. And it's like, look at us for being so intelligent and clever, look at our story. I'm like, there's no story. Nothing happens. It's a two and nothing else but a two.
1: It is a two. Cool. Well, um, okay. So That's
0: quite an aggressive note to end the episode.
1: That's an aggressive note. Um, the next episode is Time Heist. Um, what, do you, what do you recall from that episode?
0: I remember it being bonkers. Gen- I'm excited because I don't think it's going to be one of these dark character pieces again. I think it's going to be f- semi-fun at least.
1: I think there's going to be some fun moments. It also introduces a cast of characters, so we'll have, um, we'll have fun with our crisp flavours. More crisp
0: discussions. More, crisp discussions. more crisp discussions. More crisp discussions. This whole podcast, we're just more looking forward to talking about the crisp flavours now than we are Doctor Who.
1: Well, yeah, it's just when you hit the right one, when you come up with the right yeah. crisp, it is quite satisfying.
0: <laughs> Do tweet us your crisp suggestions at GeronimoPod.
1: Is that our our handle? That's
0: our handle, at Geronimo Pod.
1: Geronimo Pod, please, please tweet us. We
0: really want to know what crisps you think. If we get enough, we'll have a special mini episode dedicated to crisps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. I cannot (laughs) wait. Um, Excellent. Well, we shall see you more soon. Thank you for um for listening to the podcast everyone um and we'll see you in 2 weeks for episode 5 time heist
0: i promise it will be better than this nonsense <laughs> <laughs> bye